Good morning, West Park. What a great uh, morning we've already had. Congratulations to you families who've dedicated children, and uh, what a blessing that was. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, as we continue in our series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, as you turn to chapter 6, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, How many of us here this morning have, at some point in our life, feel like we've been let down? You know, somebody didn't come through. They didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. Anybody here ever felt let down, you know, disappointed? Uh, I think we've all felt that. If we haven't, maybe you get to experience it this week. Uh, So, you know, but we've all experienced that, haven't we? Where we said, man, like I did my part. I thought they were going to do their part. I feel kind of let down, discouraged. And, you know, that can happen to us in significant ways when we're young, especially, right? And that happens to you. And all of a sudden, man, it kind of just punches you right in the nose. And uh, it can be quite uh, uh, jarring. And you find out that life is not what? Fair. It's often not fair, right? It's not fair. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I got my first kind of real job. You know, I had other jobs, but I I got my first job when I was 16 at Canadian Tire. And uh, I worked in the parts department, you know, wiper blades and oil filters and all that stuff. And uh, so I got this job there and I really wanted to work in the shop, in the automotive repair part, because I, at that stage of my life, I thought I wanted to be a mechanic. And I thought, uh, you know, I'll get my, get, you know, work my way into the shop. And so uh, my boss in the parts department, his name was Murray. And I, I said, Murray, I said, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to be the best, you know, part-time employee. Because I was in high school. I said, yeah, I'm going to be the best part-time employee because I really want to get, you know, out into the shop and do an apprenticeship. He said, no problem. He said, you give this your best and I'll cheer you on and we'll see if we can get you out in the shop. I think we can get in the shop. Great. So that's what I did. So I you know, was there the first guy on Saturday morning. I was the last guy to leave. I went above and beyond and I got, you know, I got some wage increases. I think I got up to $3.65 an hour. I was in tall grass. And uh, so I'm working away and uh, giving it my best. The guy that owned the Canadian Tire, he was a bit of a curmudgeon. And uh, you, you were best to stay clear of him. So... One Saturday, when the store was busy, busy, he got a hold of me, the owner, in front of a bunch of customers and a bunch of the staff, and he chewed me up and spit me out. He just let me have it. And, you know, when, you're, you know, when I was 16, I had the IQ of, an, of a rake. So I'm standing there, you know, just taking it on the chin, and I feel so humiliated and so disappointed and disillusioned, and that anger took root in me and created a seed of bitterness. And and I went from being like this gung-ho 16-year-old employee to, you know, not a good employee, to an employee that didn't care, an employee that was, you know, you know, always just a little bit difficult. And I went from being this great employee to a few months later, I got fired. I got let go. Never mind the apprenticeship. I didn't even have a job. I was let go. And, and uh, the, you know, all of that accumulated into saying, you know what, uh, you're done here. And, you know, I would drive by that Canadian tire store, you know, and I'd go, yeah. 
because I was quite mature, you know. And uh, it just bugged me, and it bugged me for a long time, you know, where I was just angry and bitter. I had been dis. I kept my end of the deal. You should have kept your end of the deal. You have let me down. You didn't come through. Now, let me ask you this this morning. Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt like God didn't come through? He let you down? You ever felt like that? Come on, you're not all that spiritual. I have. There's been times in my life where I was like, God, where are you in this? I, I, th- I thought you were going to do something different. Certainly that's what I asked for. You know, sometimes it comes by way of a doctor's report, right? Uh, this isn't what I was counting on, God. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you get passed by for the promotion or sometimes it's the brokenheartedness of fractured relationships and marriages and you say, God, you know, man, this is not what I was asking for. Well, the good news is this, friends, that God always comes through. Now, having said that, I want to give you a reference, which is Isaiah 55, chapter 55, verse 8. This is the caveat to God always comes through. Isaiah writes this, for my thoughts are not always your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. And I have been delighted to come to realize throughout my life that often God comes through, but he doesn't come through in the way I want, and I thank God for that. Often as I look back, right, in the rearview mirror of life. There's things where I say, God, thank you that you didn't come through in the way that I wanted you to come through, but you came through. So now let's look at the book of Hebrews chapter 6. The book of Hebrews chapter 6, because these Jewish Christians, that's what the book of Hebrews is written to. It's written to Jewish Christians who are kind of wobbling in their faith. They're wondering, you know, is God, can we trust God? Will God come through? Can we count on him? And so Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to begin to read there at verse 13. So follow along. Hear the word of the Lord. For when God made a promise to Abraham. Now Abraham is the father, the progenitor of the Jewish people. Okay? He's Jewish person number one. So when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, this is God speaking to Abraham, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, take your Bibles, if you have your Bible, your phone, whatever you have there, and turn back to Genesis chapter 12, because the writer of Hebrews is uh, writing to Jewish people, So he continues to reach back to the Old Testament, which they're obviously very familiar with. And he reaches back here to Genesis chapter 12. And this is where we're going to look. And uh, if you know anything about what he's talking about here, it's commonly known as the Abrahamic covenant. So Genesis chapter 12, this is what we read, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, which is Abraham, go from your country... Leave your country, go from your country and your kindred, leave your country and your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God makes this problem to Ab- uh, promise to Abraham. And we read there in verses 1 to 3. And then if you read verse 4, you will see that Abraham acts in, by way of faith. Because verse 4 says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham responded by way of faith. He said, okay, Lord, you're supposed to leave here. I'm going to leave my family, leave my my land that I know, and you're going to show me where to go. So Abraham begins that journey. I've said for several weeks now, let me say it again this morning, faith is simply this. It's taking God at his word, which requires us to rightly respond to his revelation. What is faith? Faith is I take God at his word. I trust him. And so that's what Abraham does. He takes God at his word and he begins this journey. Now look down to chapter 15 in Genesis. We're going to just march along here through Genesis for a little bit. Chapter 15. In a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great because he's already moving in faith in obedience. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? You know, you've said that you're gonna make me into a great nation, you're gonna bless me, but I don't have any kids. You know, it's just me and the missus. How's this gonna work? Verse three, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir, not one of my children. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, you're gonna have so many kids, look up in the sky, all those stars, that's how many kids. Ultimately, you know, through the generations. Verse six. And he, this is Abraham, and Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God took Abraham's faith that he trusted God and he counted it as righteousness. So God expands the covenant from chapter 12 here in chapter 15. And there's three pieces I want you to notice to this expansion, these three things that we see. The first one is this. The first aspect is he promises to Abraham, to the Jewish people, a land, a place, a place. God called Abraham from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says, I'm going to give you a land. We read that in Genesis chapter 12. You read it again in Genesis chapter 13. Now, let me show you a picture here, Uh, and you may be familiar with this picture. Does everybody know what place that is? Okay, it's the most disputed piece of real estate on planet Earth. Okay, anybody stood on the Temple Mount? Anybody here been on the Temple Mount? Okay, I've been up there six times. I've debated imams on the Temple Mount, Muslims. You can't go up on the Temple Mount if you're a Jew. You can if you're a Gentile. You can if you're a Muslim, but you can't if if you're a Jew. So you see that gold dome in the center? That's called the Dome of the Rock. It's not a mosque, it's a shrine. Okay, the building in the south of the picture, the bottom of the picture there, is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is quite contentious right now, as you will well know. 
Does everybody know what's underneath that gold dome on the Temple Mount? Under that gold dome, we're going to read about it here in just a moment, the Jews believe, is Mount Moriah. The top of Mount Moriah, there's an altar under that gold dome. It's the altar that Abraham will take Isaac to to sacrifice him on. That is why this land, this place is so disputed because that is part of the land that God said he would give to Abraham. So now when you think and you pray about this, this will give you some context, some reference. But not only does God promise Abram a land, he promises him people, a promise of descendants, right? You're going to have descendants, lots of them, tons of them. We read that right there. Genesis 12, verse number two. But then he also promises him blessing and redemption. That was in verse three. He says, I will bless you and the the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Now let's go back to verse six of Genesis 15. And he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Here's what I want you to notice this morning. Hundreds of years before the law, Apart from any good works that Abraham could do, Abraham is declared righteous by way of faith. By way of faith. His faith equals righteousness, taking God at his word. Uh, This is Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 2. You might be familiar with that. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And not by works, it is a gift of God. Paul says, you know what, like, like you've, been, you've been restored in relationship to God by way of God's grace, God's unmerited favor towards you, and your faith in that, not by any good works. That's why Abraham is declared righteous. Now, go over to Genesis chapter 21. I want you to see this, especially if you are a senior this morning, you're going to enjoy this. Senior citizens having babies. Genesis 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, because God always comes through. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Are you ready? Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And some of you are feeling tired already. (laughs) He was 75 when he was called. So it was 25 years later that the son arrived after God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you. 25 years. But Abraham, he waited. You see, he waited patiently, received the reward. That's what the text says. He waited. Listen carefully. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Listen. You're waiting on God today. God, where are you? I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm just, I feel like I'm waiting here. God, are you doing anything? I am waiting. Be very careful that you don't think that in your waiting, God is not working. You know what I have found? I have had waiting times in my life where I've waited on guys, God, what in the world is going on here? And I have come to this conclusion, 
Often when I am waiting, God is working, but he's not working for me, he's working in me. He's working on me. He's, he's, he's reshaping. When I was almost 30 years old, I was in business. I was a jeweler. I'm a goldsmith by trade. Now you're saying, well, you don't have much gold on. I had to pawn it when I went into ministry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was a goldsmith. I had a, a high-end fancy jewelry store. You know, I was making jewelry pieces in the thousands of dollars. I sold my jewelry store to go into ministry. But, but I wasn't ready for ministry, so I went to work for a friend of mine, and he was a plumber. So I went from making beautiful gold pieces worth thousands of dollars to saying to people, oh, the, the kid stuck the toy down this toilet? It's a bit humbling. But God was working in me and on me. He was humbling me, preparing me for what was ahead. He was working in the waiting. Look at verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She's going to have a baby? (laughs) It's funny. I think Sarah was laughing too when she found out she was going to have a baby. But her laughing wasn't, (laughs) her laughing was, (laughs) I'm having a baby and I'm this old. Now look what it says in Genesis 22, verse 1. Genesis 22, look one chapter along. After these things, God tested Abraham. See, he's given Abraham this promised son after 25 years. God's come through and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, verse 2. He said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. That's what we just looked at. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. I would suggest, friends, that this must be the most difficult and disorienting request that could ever be given to a parent. I can't imagine it. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You know, it's easy to walk in faith and trust God in that which makes sense and is good and is welcome, but can you continue to follow God in faith when it's inconceivable and immensely difficult? That's the acid test of faith. It's not in the happy, clappy times of life. It's, am I going to stay following God when it does not make sense? Because faith must rightly respond to God's revelation in both goodness and also in difficulty. You got to keep following. And Abraham, he's seen God's provision and he's seen God's righteous judgment as well. He's seen God deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw God deal with Pharaoh when Pharaoh was unjust towards Sarah. So Abraham knows something about the goodness of God, but he also knows about the justice of God, and he wants to respond in faith so he's not disobedient. That's why in Psalm 111 we read, Praise the Lord, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. But then at the end of Psalm 111, it tells us this. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, does anybody know? Wisdom. You know, we praise the Lord, and, but remember, we, God is, you know, I, I've been in churches where people say, oh, you know, God's just my homeboy. Are you kidding me? Come on. No, God is great and glorious and to be revered and to be worshiped and to be feared. But he's good and he's just and he's benevolent. Now, how do you practice the fear of the Lord? Easy, one word, obedience. Always manifested in obedience. That's what Abraham did. Look down to verse 4 of verse, uh, chapter 22. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy, Isaac, will go over there and worship and come again to you. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Abraham is going to go and sacrifice his son. That's what God's asked him to do. And he identifies that act as worship. Worship. Do you know, friends, worship always requires sacrifice. Worship always requires sacrifice. You know, I hope you're appreciative and you are blessed by the worship team and the worship music that you have at West Park. Amen? You should be. Pastor Corey and his team do an amazing job. You know, when Madeline led us this morning in Be Thou My Vision, just that last song they did, you know, my heart's full, right? My heart is full. When we sang, High King of Heaven, High King of Heaven, that's an amazing thing. Thy treasure thou art. Jesus, you're my treasure. But worship requires sacrifice. You know, sometimes I go into a church, I'll go into a service, you know, and I'll be standing there singing and I'll be going, yeah, the band's not so good today. I wish they'd pick it. I can't stand this song. When, when I do that, you know what happens? I am no longer worshiping. I'm just singing and I'm a bad singer. Because there's no sacrifice. You, you know, when you come to worship on Sunday morning and, and we start to lift our voices corporately together to God, you know, you, you, there's things you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your distractions. Sacrifice your phone. Take it out, stomp it, smash it to bits. You know, sacrifice your pride. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're worshiping and, and, you're, you know, and your heart begins to fill and you want to lift your arms to the Lord, but you know what? The, the people sitting next to me will think that's weird. So I'll be an oak of righteousness. <laughs> you know, there's things you have to sacrifice if you want to worship. There's always a cost to worshiping. You know, if you want a reference, 2 Samuel 24, 24. It's King David. It's King David. You know what he says? He's just, he's just conducted a, an ungodly census of the people that he's not supposed to do. And you know what he says? He says, uh, I want to be clear. I, I will not offer burnt offerings 
to the Lord that cost me nothing. To think you can worship God and you can bring a sacrifice of worship to God and it costs you nothing. David said, I'm not going to do that. There's always a cost to worship. Secondly, did you hear the other thing that Abraham said there, friends? He said, we're going to go over there and we're going to worship. And then he says, and then I'm coming back. And the inference there is that we will come back. Abraham and Isaac. Is it disingenuous? Like, does Abraham think, well, he's not really going to sacrifice him? No, you know what? I think Abraham's faith is so great, it rises to the level of, we're going to come back because I'm going to sacrifice Isaac, but there's going to be a resurrection. Because through Isaac, I am going to be a blessing to the nations. So something is going to happen. I'm fully committed to walking by faith and sacrifice him, but we'll come back because God's going to raise him up. Amazing faith. Amazing faith. Now the rest of the story, look down to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, manifested by obedience, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And then if you look down to verse 17, it says, I will surely bless you and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sands of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offering, offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God reiterates the commitment that he gave in chapter 12. He, he recommitted in, verse, in chapter 22 that oath of chapter 12. Now look back to Hebrews chapter 6. Just go back to Hebrews chapter 6 as we finish up this morning. Verse 16 of Hebrews 6. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, which we've just read, Genesis 22. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, listen carefully, he, we, who have fled for refuge, that's those Jewish Christians and every one of us today because we find refuge in God and in Christ. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest, which is a mediator, forever, that's important, after the order of Melchizedek. Four things very quickly, folks. Where, where did the Hebrews find this faith-anchored hope, and where do we find it today in what we've read? First, they found it in the complete trustworthiness of God's promises. 
If God said it, it's a promise. You can count on it. He's going to come through. We read there, he cannot lie. He came through for Abraham. Secondly, secondly, they found faith anchored hope in the reality that Abraham walked a life of faith. And you, when you walk your life of faith, you're giving hope to other people. They're seeing your resolute commitment to the Lord and that you press on in the good times like Abraham did in the very difficult times. Who's watching you and how is your walk going? The third thing they found hope in is God's presence in our life. The presence of God in the life of the believer. You see, we read there that, that we've been carried into God's very presence behind the curtain. That, that Christ has torn down this barrier between us and God and allowed us to enter this new relationship. And the fourth and final way is because Christ is our high priest forever. He's our mediator, the mediatorial work of Christ on our behalf. And that word is in there for a reason, forever. Is Christ still, yeah. Not only did he come through, he's still coming through. He'll always come through. He is your mediator forever. His promises stand. Let me share this with you, friends, and then I will be done this morning. About, uh, I think it was six or seven years ago, uh, it was a hot holiday weekend in the summer. Like, really hot day, and it was a Sunday night, and I had preached a couple times Sunday morning, and we were sitting on our back patio and uh, relaxing and just enjoying Sunday night, and it was still blazing out. I think it was like six o'clock, it was still like, you know, 30 degrees or 32 degrees, one of those just summer scorchers. And I was sitting there on a patio, and my phone was on our, on our table, and all of a sudden my phone buzzed, and I had a text message. I picked it up, and the text message said, Pastor Steve, please pray for my dad. He is missing. Oh, well, that sounds pretty serious, you know. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to call him. So I called the guy, and I said, hey, what's, Andy, what's going on? He said, well, my dad's missing. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, my mom and dad... Andy was part of our church, and uh, my mom and dad, on Sunday mornings, they always go out early Sunday mornings for a walk, and his parents are quite elderly, in their early 80s. He said, so they went to this big park in Cambridge, where I lived, and uh, they went to this big park, and they went out for a walk, and my dad decided he wanted to go up on some trails, and my mom said, I don't want to do that, I want to go this way, and so they said, okay, let's meet back at the car in like 45 minutes. So off they went. And he said, my mom comes back to the car in like 45 minutes. This is like 7 o'clock in the morning. This is now 6 o'clock at night. He said, my mom comes back to the car and my dad's not there. So she kind of waits, waits, waits. Finally, she's got no car keys. He's got the car keys, but she does have her phone. So she phones the son and says, I don't know what's going on your dad. He said, well, come over. So he comes over. So he looks for dad, can't find dad. So a couple of hours now have gone by. They phone the police and the police come. And they kind of scour the park, but it's a big park. It's got lots of wooded, very thickly wooded areas and whatnot. They say, well, you know, like, you know, it's still early, but, you know, he's probably going to show up. The mom is so upset and so distraught, she actually went home and began to find the papers. You know, the will and the funeral arrangements and all of that. That's how concerned she was, right? Because it was so out of character for him, so unusual. So I said to him, well, what are you doing now? He said, I'm at the park still looking. 
Now, full disclosure, I didn't really want to go. Deep in my being, it's like, I should go because I'm a pastor and I get paid to do nice things. But I really like to stay on my deck. But I, I should go over. So I said, I'll come and help. Look, I know that park because the park is right next to the high school that I spent eight years of my life at. And, uh, and if I would have not spent so much time in the park, I probably wouldn't have been at that high school so long. Okay? <laughs> So I said, I'll come over. So I get in my car, I drive over to the park, I park my car, and I get out and I start looking. And it's Sunday night, it's hot, and there's lots of people in the park, so there's lots of noise, it's busy. And in this park, there's a duck pond that has like tons of ducks. And as soon as they see anybody close to the pond, they think you're going to feed them, you know. And so they, so I'm walking on this path, duck pond here, ducks all in front of me, quack, quack, making all this racket. There's a stream here, and on the other side of this stream are woods, and they're thick, thick, thick you know, overgrowing weeds and vines and thick as anything. So I'm walking along and I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know. So I, is anybody over there? You know, and the dog, wah, 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 wah. anybody over there? Wah, wah. And all of a sudden I was like, I think I heard something. And so I got right up to the edge of the creek. You know, it was a big creek and deep. And, and I yelled over, I said, is there anybody, is somebody over there? And I heard this really faint voice, help, help. And I looked into the woods, I'm looking in there, and I saw this little square of red fabric. In all, and I said, are you there? And he goes, yeah, help, help, I, I can't get up, help, help. I said, stay right there, we'll get help. And I phoned his son, I said, Andy, I think I found your dad. He says, where are you? And I said, I'm right here by the dock. He said, I'm at the other end of the park. I'm, I'll come right down. I said, hang up. I'll phone 911. So I phoned 911, and within a few minutes, the fire department came, the ambulance came, the police came. They're all out. I said, he's back there. But I said, I don't know how you're going to get to him. You've got to go across this creek. They, they ha actually had to get a chainsaw to get to the guy. And these firefighters, you know, they got one of these portable stretchers and they carried it over there and the firefighter says they're getting ready to do this one of the cops turns to me and he he says how'd you find this guy we were here this morning man we and how'd you find him over there and I said well I said yeah I found him I said God help me the Lord help me ah, they laughed that was kind of funny I said no really I said the ducks were honking and everything else and I said God help me find him. okay whatever well we'll get him out of there and so they went, he'd been in there for at this point about 13 hours. He got twisted up, he decided he was gonna try and walk through the undergrowth. He tripped, he fell, he got up, he fell again. Then he had a heart attack. He'd had a heart attack, he was there 12 hours. His kidneys were shutting down. He ended up spending a month in the hospital to recover. So, why do I tell you that story? <clears throat> they get the guy, they carry him out. Remember I told you I didn't really want to go. There was a bit of a check deep in my spirit. The guy they carried out of the woods was the man that owned the Canadian Tire. Same guy. When they carried him out, I realized that I had never been free of what had happened to me decades earlier. And God came through. God came through that day. You know why? Because Jesus himself says, you know what? 
If you're free in me, you're free. And I didn't have freedom from that. When that happened, God rushed over me the fact that I had held on to some other stuff far too long and far too closely. Listen very carefully as we close this morning. Listen carefully. One of the greatest gifts that God can give you, and he can give this to you. A lady came up at the end of the first service, tears running down her face. She said, God has just spoken to me. I, I, I never thought of that. One of the great things God can do to you, the way that God comes through, listen, is God can give you the ability to bless those who have bruised you. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies and bless those who hurt you. It's not necessarily for their benefit because the Lord brings freedom in your own life. He comes through. He comes through. Isn't that a great God? Amen? He's such a good God. He always comes through. He always, always, always comes through. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, thank you that you do come through. Thank you that you came through for Abraham in the good days and in the very difficult days. Thank you, Father, for the way you worked in my own life. Brought healing, brought hope, brought freedom to me. You are so good, God. Thank you that you're trustworthy in every single way and in every single day. We love you. We want you to hear that. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen and amen.